Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Remotely Effective, the show where we talk about working from home and in distributed teams. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Augustin Delaporte, who is one of my uh, co-workers at Platform SH, where he currently is the Director of Product Scalability. Augustin has been with Platform for over nine years, and his time in the company dates back to when it was an agency called Commerce Guys. He was actually employee number four at the company. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the transition from uh, the uh, web agency that the company was originally to a product company, what it's like to do product management in distributed teams, and also what it's like to work in a distributed team while being a remote employee in China. Augustin, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me, Thomas. I really appreciate it. Yes, yes. I am really looking forward to this conversation. But before we we dive into uh, a lot of your story, for anyone out there that's not familiar with Platform, can you just give us a a brief overview of uh, the history of the company, um, what your first role was there, and then also a, a bit of an overview of what Platform SH is now? Yeah, sure. Um, when I joined the company, it was in 2011. We were uh, purely an agency. We were building websites, mostly e-commerce websites with Drupal. And internally, we decided to work on the next uh, version of the e-commerce system for Drupal, for Drupal 7. It was Drupal 7, uh, very early days of Drupal 7 at the time. So we started gathering a team internally at the at the Commerce Guys company. And we started working on that, uh, on specifying that suite of modules of extensions for Drupal for e-commerce. That's really how, how it started as basically a product. And then uh, we launched a couple of uh, websites using Drupal Commerce. It was called Drupal Commerce for Drupal 7. And uh, we realized that if we wanted to be uh, successful as a company, we needed to have some recurring revenue. And in order to have recurring revenue, uh, the best is to launch a product. So we, we thought about different options for us to launch uh, a product. We came up with multiple options. Uh, one was a marketplace where people could uh, browse a panel of different modules or uh, third-party providers that they could install on their website very easily. We were maintaining those extensions. So we had extensions for payment providers, shipping providers, stock providers, um, we also so that was the marketplace. We also looked at uh, a hosting platform. It was originally called a Commerce Platform. So we built uh, an, a hosting platform so that, in addition with building websites, we could also sell hosting for those websites. These solutions was out in 2014, and very early on, we had requests from our customers to not only host their Drupal websites, but also other PHP applications that they were having, and they really wanted to reuse the same standard uh, solution for hosting. So it really made us realize that we could easily extend the, the hosting, not only to Drupal or even Drupal commerce websites, but to a wide variety of websites and applications. And that's how we started 
pivoting into a pure product company focusing 100% on that hosting solution. Um, and it was definitely in 2014 that, uh, that the pivot happened. Um, and we basically split the company in four. Um, so the agency was split in, uh, in two. We had one agency in the US and one agency in France. Uh, we split the commerce guys part uh, in order to continue maintaining the ecosystem of e-commerce modules for Drupal. And the fourth one was the product entity that I was um, working on, the platform SH piece. Um, so really, we, we managed to pivot successfully to a product uh, company. And uh, we, we started offering hosting to PHP websites. But very early on, we also added the support for Node.js, for Python. Now we have Go, Java, uh, .NET, uh, and a wide range of runtimes for uh, basically every website to host. So that's been the case since 2014 uh, up to now. Yes, yeah, and that's a that's definitely a good good overview of the history. It's it's always really cool to see a a successful pivot um, in the I'll say startup world. Though that I don't mean any any connotation by that 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 can be mean a lot of different things. But um, yeah, it's always always really cool to to see to see that, and uh, and it's definitely something I'm. Uh, I enjoy being a part of. So, what was your your original role at Platform? So, when you started, uh, what was the the first role that you served in? I joined in 2011 as a technical product manager, a technical project manager. Sorry, so I had a, a team of um, I was working with a team of engineers, um, developers, Drupal developers. Uh, they were based in uh, in Paris. US, but also Serbia, Spain, and a couple of other countries in Europe. Um, and I acted basically as a Scrum Master originally. Uh, we were seven in the team. Uh, so I was Scrum Master for, for that team. So um, one thing that some people might not be aware of that, that maybe have followed Platform some is... That though we are what what I like to call a remote first company, meaning that we prioritize remote employees just as much as anyone in an office. Um, we talk about remote work a lot as platform, but we do actually have a a physical office in Paris, and then a few other people uh, across a couple different continents that actually work in um, offices. A lot of salespeople, um, some support as well, um, and. Though there aren't anybody in those offices right now due to uh, pre preventions related to the spread of COVID-19, which we can get into some later. Um, but what I'd like to hear now is, were there any challenges early on that had to be worked through between a, a small contingent of the team uh, being located centrally in Paris and then some of the rest of the team being located, you know, throughout different parts of Europe in the United States. Were there any uh, specific issues that had to be overcame? And especially as a product, uh, excuse me, project manager at the time, what were things that you you had to work through with being able to see some people face to face in the office, and then also having a team that was located across um, different, you know, places in Europe and even different time zones in the U.S. That's a great question. Let me get back a little bit to the, the history. 
uh, of how it started uh, before I jump into the challenges. Yes, uh, please. Really, when, when Commerce Guys started, uh, it was a joint venture between a U.S. company called Commerce Guys and uh, a French team based in Paris. Um, and they, they basically joined uh, to create a new company called Commerce Guys, but their businesses uh, remained very targeted on their local markets for a while. So for uh, probably one or two years, uh, the U.S. part of the company were really focused on the U.S. market. Uh, the French part of the company was focused on the European market. Uh, and it was basically two centralized teams that were working a little bit together. Um, so we had customers and projects that were dedicated based on our, on, on, uh, our area. Um, what happened is when we started to build uh, basically Drupal Commerce, uh, which was which required um, some skills from people uh, in the US, in Europe, in Paris, and in Europe as well. When we started hiring people like uh, uh, Bojan Zivanovic, uh, who is in Serbia, uh, Pedro Cambra, who is in Spain, uh, we started to expand, and that's where the challenges uh, arise. That's when we realized that uh, we we cannot work the same way that we are doing with our two centralized office. And we need to start implementing tools, processes, workflows, so that everybody can work together. Uh, but more importantly, can work together in different time zones. Because I, I really think there are, there are multiple groups of companies that are working remotely. Um, the first one is basically the, the one that we were uh, at the, at the uh, origin, is where you have a centralized office and you only have a couple of people that are being remote. Uh, and then you face uh, some some challenges that are specific to that particular setup where the centralized office is where everything happens. The communication happens there. Uh, and some people that are remote, are uh, sometimes they feel that they're, they don't belong to the company or they, are, they don't have the same level of understanding, uh, same level of uh, the strategy. Um, so that, that's very specific. Uh, you also have companies that are working remotely uh, where everybody is working remotely uh, within the same time zone, and you have people companies where people are working remotely within different time zones. That's where we are now today at Platform SH. We have people in uh, in uh, fourteen different time zones. We are about two hundred people, and all mostly all working remotely. We still have the Paris office today, but it's less and less um, uh, a, a hub for the company. Uh, it's more uh, a place where we can hire ju more junior people. Uh, we host summit, uh, specific team summit. Um, we also have uh, interns uh, there because it's it's harder to hire interns or more junior people if uh, they are 100% remote. Uh, so today I would say that Platform SH is purely decentralized and uh, within multiple time zones. At the beginning, uh, when we had a very strong centralized office with uh, only a couple of people being remote and some being on uh, different time zones. The main issue was that some departments were absolutely not using uh, online tools uh, that would allow everybody to be on the same page. Uh, we had sales, marketing that were purely uh, in the Paris office. Uh, so they didn't need uh, or see the need to, um, to communicate on uh, online tools. Uh, we used HipChat at the time for the tech and support, um, for the, mm -hmm. the engineers and support. Uh, they were not on that. Uh, they 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 were sharing uh, papers, documents. Um, so 
if you were a remote guy at at the time, uh, you didn't have any, I you, you didn't have any idea of what marketing or sales were actually doing, uh, and that was a big issue we realized. Uh, and then we tried to enforce uh, even the departments that were purely centralized in Paris uh, to use those online tools in order to be more transparent and um, have the information flow across the different uh, people that were being uh, remote. So I think I think that was mainly the, the challenge to, to make sure that even though you have a centralized place where people are working, as soon as you have some remote workers, you need to make sure that everybody um, empowers all the processes and uh, and workflows that you're putting in place and that are online, that are both synchronous and asynchronous, uh, so that you have everybody on the same page and everybody can be aligned. And for anyone that maybe isn't aware of or familiar with those terms, uh, asynchronous versus synchronous communication, can you elaborate on that some? Yeah, definitely. Um, what what we realized is, um, of course, you need a synchronous uh, communication channel. Um, Slack is used very often uh, nowadays. Microsoft uh, has a, a tool for um, communication. This is a, a channel where people can, uh, can interact together. Um, it, it's called synchronous because uh, it's instant discussion. Um, ideally, all the channels are public to the entire company. There is no reason to have channels that are private unless it requires specific um, specific uh, discussion or a, a limited amount of people. Uh, this is synchronous. This is where you're asking a question to someone and you're expecting a, an answer at some point. Um, what happens is that uh, those channels become very, very noisy. Uh, and the more people you have on those channels, the harder it is to find the information or follow what's being decided or what's being discussed um, or what needs to be uh, agreed on uh, and where the consensus is. Uh, so you need an asynchronous uh, channel or mean of communication, which most, most often is a wiki or a forum where people can actually summarize a discussion or a meeting uh, and make sure that um, it's uh, it's available not on the, the synchronous channel like Slack or HipChat, uh, but is available for everybody to come back later and have uh, a common understanding of what's been agreed or discussed. That's super important. And that's what we didn't have originally. Uh, so we were always referring to communication on HipChat and, and saying, the decision yeah. has been made a couple of days ago, but that's hard to find. That's not uh, something easy to reference. Uh, so having a wiki, having a forum, um, having notification on those uh, for all the departments, having a structure, like uh, what are the specific decisions that the product team has taken uh, is under the product um, category, making sure that uh, you have those asynchronous um, mean of communication is, is critical. Yes. Um, so did you have a project, ma formal project management tool in place during those early days as well, like Jira or, you know, pick pick whatever your tool of, of choice is. Jira is a common one now. Um, as a project manager, did you have a place, you know, when the, when the team was just, you know, a handful of people, did you have a tool that you used for that at the time? Or was that also something that you had to, you know, sort of um, implement as well as the team grew? 
So uh, I would say at Platform Message, we're very good at, uh, or at least we were very good at uh, uh, trying trying out new tools for project management specifically. I mean, task management. Uh, we've tried probably seven. Uh, so we went from uh, <laughs> from from Redmine to Scrumdo to Trello to Jira, of course, and now we're uh, we've stick for with Jira for a while. We've, we went with uh, GitHub issues, GitLab issues. Uh, we've tried a lot. Uh, it always depending on um, on uh, the, the need at the time mm-hmm. or what the team wanted. Uh, I, I don't think the tool really matters. Uh, whatever tool you're picking for task management, for instant communication, uh, for your asynchronous discussions, um, the tool doesn't really matter. I would say what really matters is um, how you're going to explicitly write down the policy of using those tools. Um, so if you want people to use Jira, you need to make sure that uh, the, the interface is clear. Uh, you need to um, uh, streamline the processes uh, and the workflows between tasks, the screens, uh, make sure all the permissions are working fine. Uh, and we, we haven't, we, even today, we are not completely there yet. Um, but I would say that's the most important part uh, because uh, in any case, the tools are never going to be 100% uh, compliant with what you want or what you need. Um, and rather than spending all your time on configuring those tools and making sure they work the way you need, just write down what you would like people and how you would like people to interact with, the, with those tools. Uh, and if people actually follow those guidelines, it's going to simplify everything. Yeah. Yes. I, I completely agree. Uh, coming to consensus on how a tool should be used is is definitely as important as the tool itself. And I will say that one nice thing about Jira, now I have my, I think, I think with, no matter what tool you, you use, sometimes, you know, you can have certain points of friction you find with it. And I definitely find points of friction with Jira. But one thing I will uh, give it is the workflow management that it has definitely makes it really nice to enforce some some stringent workflow. Sometimes you need more flexibility in a project where you want to be able to move states around and things like that. But um, when you're working with a large team, it is good to make sure that everybody is on the same page about you know what status an issue goes into when it's first opened and how it gets approved and where it, what status it's assigned when um, we, uh, actually start, you know, working on the given thing, whether it's development or, um, you know, any type of research or anything like that and the approval process and all that, um, Jira definitely lends itself towards, um, a formalized, formalized process, which is, which is beneficial in, in many cases. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And that's also, that also, um, brings the points that I wanted to uh, to mention uh, earlier is the the importance of onboarding when you're on when you when you're onboarding someone uh, there's when you're working remotely it's uh, critical to be successful at the onboarding period but after the onboarding when you're working with um, developers or people at support um, spend time with them as a product manager or project manager spend time with them doing some screen sharing uh, or uh, we call it pair programming sometimes, but if you're not doing programming per se, uh, spend time with them. Uh, I've I've learned so much uh, looking at other people updating uh, tickets or submitting posts in uh, in a sync. 
they, they don't forcefully find the, the right button or they don't uh, follow the right workflows because the interface uh, doesn't make sense to them. So it makes sense to you probably because you've been used to that. But when uh, they're actually doing the mapping of a merge request with a ticket, for example, it's not forcefully clear uh, on, on which side they, they, they are doing it or they should be doing it. And just looking at someone trying to do a specific task uh, really tells you a lot on how your setup is working for them, whether it brings a lot of overhead or whether it's uh, it's clear and understood. Yes, I, I can't agree more. Uh, screen sharing is is so useful and it also in a, in addition to you know finding new ways to do things or finding points of friction or even um um you know pointing out someone something in in someone's workflow as you said whether it's you know development related or related to using a given given tool <clears throat> excuse me i i also think that it has a real nice uh air of um, openness and it even if you don't have your webcam on it it just feels more social than if you're just like telling someone to click through an interface and whether it's onboarding like you talked about or even you know someone that's maybe been on the team um, screen sharing is just it, it is a way to get a little bit more of a social interaction when we're not in the same office we can't just look over someone's shoulder and say hey i i just i just saw you do that i, I i'm not sure what you did there can you show me and uh, yeah, it definitely has a, a lot of lot of benefits across the board. So uh, let's let's shift the the conversation a, a little bit, and I I would like to hear about your uh, transition to uh, China. Can you can you talk a little bit about the time frame uh, that you made that transition and uh, what it what it was like? When you when you first made the transition, were there any major culture shocks? Like, what was the biggest surprise when you first first made the move? Yeah, there are a lot to say about that. Um, so, first, why did I go to China with a platform SH? Um, originally, um, I studied Chinese uh, at uh, university. Uh, I've always been very uh, interested in uh, uh, China as a as a country. Um, I've worked one year in 2010 in a in a Chinese uh, Drupal agency. That's how I actually got in touch with the people at uh, Commerce Guys. Um, and uh, Fred Frederick Play, the CEO of Platform SH, um, knew that I was very interested in uh, in having a work experience in China. And in 2017, we were pressured from a couple of uh, big customers that. Um, that we host uh, and a couple of prospects that had as a requirement uh, to be able to host their applications and websites in China. Uh, so as you know, it has very specific constraints that you don't forcefully have in other places of, uh, of the world. Um, and it requires specific uh, licensing, specific partnership with uh, some Chinese companies. Uh, so uh, we also had uh, one of our biggest partner, Magento, was uh, very looking into uh, hosting in China to open Magento Cloud in China. Uh, and uh, their recent acquisition by Adobe uh, postponed that plan a little bit, uh, but they are probably uh, going to get back to that at some point. Um, but basically we had a very strong need to 
have a presence in China and allow our customers and prospects and partners to host in China. So I was sent uh, for two years uh, and my mission was basically first, of course, support our existing customers, prospects, partners to deploy their applications and websites in China. Uh, but as a second objective, I also had uh, the mission to investigate the local Chinese market and see whether uh, we had a fit for that market, whether Platform SH had a fit for the local market. Um, that second part was a little bit, um, uh, a little bit uh, more unsuccessful uh, because of the regulations that we didn't forcefully have, um, and uh, the, also the, the work differences and culture and um, and uh, uh, like in China they don't forcefully trust public cloud yet. Um, so those kind of um, differences made it hard for us to be uh, a good fit today for Chinese local companies. Um, but we were very successful in, uh, in the first mission, which was uh, um, supporting our customers and prospects uh, to deploy in China. Um, and by working in China, that was really the first time for me that uh, I was not working for um, uh, within the same time zone as mostly everybody else in the company. We had a couple of people in uh, Asia Pacific uh, that I was interacting with a lot, uh, but the product teams and uh, the support and tech teams uh, that I was interacting with were on very different time zones. And that made me realize uh, that even though we were fully distributed, um, being completely remote and not close to the, the, the Paris office, I would say, or even being on the same European time zones uh, is very challenging when you're looking for getting all the information or communicating with uh, the right people. Uh, so I wasn't expecting that big of a shock, uh, even for distributed companies like uh, like ours. Yes. So what were ways that at the time, I mean, uh, uh, we'll get into the the transition back to, to Paris in a bit, but at the time, what were ways that you worked around that issue? Cause, cause I, I do know what that, that is like from, from the other side. Um, you know, I, I interact with some people in Asia Pacific time zone and, uh, some people on our team that are in Australia. Um, so I, I definitely know what it's like to have to, to, find overlap in your your day but what what were ways that you personally um found were helpful in in overcoming that challenge so the first one which uh was possible only because i uh, didn't have a uh, children that uh, that went to school at that time um i have a three years old uh, that is in school but uh, was not at the time uh, was to work in the afternoon and in the evening uh, because my main issue was that I needed some time with the U.S. time zone, where a big part of our company is. Um, our director, like vice president of Global Alliance, uh, which was my manager at the time, uh, based in Los Angeles. So uh, by working in the evening, I could have a big chunk of time with him. And by working in the afternoon, I could have a big chunk of time working with the uh, European teams. So that's basically how I did that. I had my morning with me and I was working afternoon and evening. Uh, but as you may not know, is that in China, uh, the bandwidth is very, very depending on the time when you connect and uh, 
basically I could not uh, open my webcam and have meetings with my webcam on uh, during the evening. Uh, like it seems that everybody is starting to uh, use the internet and connect to the internet uh, in the evening, and uh, the latency gets very very bad. Um, so th those are some uh, some pain points that I have to, mm -hmm. to face, and I was of course uh, behind a VPN during my entire stay. Yeah, definitely some uh, some challenges, but to me the only way that uh, I found to be able to work and continue working the same way was to shift my uh, working schedules the uh, afternoon and evening. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh I from what I hear and um you know, I'm on the East Coast and in, in the US and that I find that that it's nice because it's it's at least close to a middle ground, you know, between uh, I have a good good amount of overlap with people in Central European time zone and I can uh, kind of overlap with people in in uh, Asia Pacific if you know I stay a little late or they get up early but yes yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the hardest things in a <laughs> working in a distributed team especially um, for a company like like platform that has so many people across different time zones and continents and cultures and everything it's it's definitely a lot it's a lot to manage so um, so you said you spent two years in in China um, during that that uh, uh, that tenure though you you had a year with another company uh, before that um, and after that two year period you made uh, the decision to come back to Paris um, what was it like uh, coming back to uh, you know Central European time zone your your you know, back in your, your home country of France. Um, and you also are close to the office. So after working distributed for that two-year period, really being, you know, again, separated, not just physically, but also having uh, time zone issues to overcome, did you start going to the Paris office regularly at that time? That, that's a good question. And actually, uh, I'm not sure if my... Uh... Uh, what I will say will uh, will uh, be liked by uh, everyone not doing remote work. But what I realized really when I uh, went back to the to Paris and uh, starting uh, working from the Paris office more uh, is that my productivity is way uh, lower when I'm working on site at the at the Paris office. Uh, and and frankly. Um, when you're when you're working on site with uh, other people, you get it's harder to manage distractions. Like interruptions come very often, and uh, you, you're you're not in charge of your schedules. Which means that you show up in the morning, you start working a little bit, and you know that no matter what, around twelve thirty, people are going to show up uh, and go to lunch together. Uh, they're going to be back yeah. uh, an hour later, and uh, then you have a coffee break, which is minus or less uh, at the same time every day. Uh, we, those interruption and those um, strict schedules don't happen when you're working at home. So you're working at home and what you face is uh, you have something to do and you do it. Uh, and if, uh, if lunch happens an hour later or an hour earlier, uh, depending on the day, that's fine. Nobody's going to complain. 
um, and you can actually focus more on uh, on longer period. Um, and that's what we see in offices. Even today in uh, our Paris offices, we now have dedicated box where you can really close the door and be working on specific thing and without being interrupted because that's what people are looking for. Uh, when you need to be working on something, you need to be in a quiet place without being distracted, uh, without interruption. And it's very hard to manage interruptions and distractions when, uh, when you're uh, working on site. So uh, I... I I really try to go to the office um, at least two days a week now. Uh, I was more on the four to five days a week before I went to China. Uh, but now I, I at least go two days a week in the office really to uh, get a hold of uh, what's going on. You have salespeople, you have marketing people, finance people, um, product team support you. In the Paris office, you have a bit of uh, every department. So it's really good to have a grasp of uh, what they are working on, what their pain points are. Uh, you also have summits uh, in the office. So sometimes different teams are joining the Paris office for a week. Uh, and that's very good to have their uh, insights on uh, what they are doing, what their priorities are, what uh, how they are managing their, uh, their teams and uh, things like that. So uh, I try to go in the office, even though I know that I'm going to be more productive at home. Um, but I, I'm definitely spending uh, more time at home now, uh, now that I know and I uh, realize that uh, I'm more productive at home. Yes, and uh, my my experience is definitely similar to that. Uh, in a couple of a couple of jobs ago, I had a hybrid situation where I was working from home uh, two to three days a week sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, and then would go to the office, you know, one, two, sometimes three days a week. Um, and definitely found the same thing for myself where there's just so many distractions in an office and there's a lot of benefit to it, not only on the, the work side that you mentioned where you get to overhear these different conversations like the office that we shared was with another department and you pass people in the hall and ask them, you know, what they're up to, what they're working on, how their day is going. There's all sorts of little interactions like that, but there's also a benefit to the social interaction as well that I found. And uh, yeah, there's definitely, definitely pluses to it. But when it comes to deep focused work, I do think that working um, in a quiet space, you know, for us, that's, it's working from home. But being able to find a quiet space without distractions is definitely, definitely uh, a crucial. Um, so, uh, what would you uh, give as a, a piece of advice for anyone out there that may be making the transition to a more remote team? You know, we've got a lot of people right now that are being forced to do that again doing to the related to those measures that are being taken right now to to curb the the spread of covid-19 but also for anyone listening to this episode down the road what what do you think are some of your big takeaways from uh early days at platform you know transitioning to fully remote in china now being back in Paris, working a, a hybrid schedule, what do you think are, are some of the, you know, those key takeaways that you would, you would 
give as a piece of advice, both for members on a team and then also um, people that are maybe in a management or leadership role at a company? Mm, that's a good. Uh, that's a good question. Um, definitely trust. Um, that's something that I was lacking originally with the team. Every time I was, I was asking a question on a synchronous uh, channel like HipChat uh, or Slack today, uh, I had the feeling that if they were not answering directly, they were idle or they were uh, doing something else and not focused on their work. Uh, that's not the case. Most of the time, uh, you want to manage interruptions. Uh, people have different ways of managing their interruptions. Uh, maybe they shut down Slack for a couple of hours. Um, so make sure that uh, trust people, you give them clear objectives and you trust that they are going to accomplish those. Maybe some people like to work uh, more in the evening, uh, maybe some are more productive in the morning. So make sure you trust your team um, and you will see if they are being idle, uh, if they are not uh, doing anything, it will uh, show up. So don't try to micromanage and uh, overmanage uh, people that are working remotely. Uh, that's definitely something I would, um, uh, I would advise people who are starting to look at um, remote work. Uh, also definitely have ways of uh, communicating that is asynchronous. Um, don't rely on everything uh, being synchronous. Slack, uh, for example, don't rely on Slack for decision making. Have wikis, have documentation, playbooks, forum, um, make sure you have those. Write down everything, really, uh, because you're now a distributed team. You need to be writing everything down. Um, having a meeting with two or three people or a discussion with two or three people uh, will need to be written down in a specific uh, ways for everybody in the company to be aware of those. Um, Communicate, communicate, communicate. Uh, the more you communicate, the better. Be transparent. Um, the more people have access to the information, the better it's going to be. Um, so make sure that the channels that uh, you're communicating on are open, uh, are public for everyone in the company. Um, also learn how to communicate because asking people on Slack, like, uh, hi, can I ask you a question? is a really bad way to ask a question, actually, um, because that means you're expecting the, the person to be answering directly. So when you ask a question, uh, ask your question directly and don't wait for the answer within the next minute unless it's extremely urgent. Uh, but ask your question and at some point the person will answer. If you're asking in a public channel, some other pers persons might be answering your question. Um, but don't uh, expect the people to be uh, working at the same minute as you are asking the question. Um, that's also uh, also a really, really important. Um, so yeah, basically it relies to trust and uh, over communicating uh, help figuring figuring things out. Yeah, over communicating is huge, and it's something that takes a little bit of getting used to. I think for people that come from in office environments where communication happens a little bit more naturally by extension of just, you know, over here, again, like what I was saying, you just overhear conversations, you run into people in the hall, you, you see around the corner in the, the, uh, meeting room when people are having meetings, 
So making sure that you are going above and beyond to communicate all the things that are going on in your team and your personal work is is definitely huge. And uh, I, I'd also like to reiterate that um, part you mentioned about not just saying hello or can I ask you a question. There's a site out there that I can't remember the URL for, and I'll try and put it in the, the show notes later, something to the effect of no more hello that talks about uh, – you shouldn't just when you send someone a message uh you shouldn't just say hello or how how's your day going if you're trying to get information from them you know you can prefix it with you know hey or hey we haven't you know we haven't talked in a while hope you're doing well and then ask your question right along with that um yeah. especially um when you work in uh, teams that are across multiple time zones though I will say it's not just exclusive to that because you do have people that work different parts of the day, like you mentioned. Um, if you're in either of those situations, it's so crucial. Just just go ahead and, and ask your question. You know, fulfill your social contract of being you know being polite and, and courteous to your team members. But just go ahead and and um, you know ask the question. Don't assume that they're going to have overlap with your workday and in the time frame that the question needs to be answered. So yeah, so, definitely, yeah. definitely huge. The site um, is no hello.com if I recall correctly. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll, and I'll put that in the show notes for anyone, anyone curious. It's a, it's pretty, pretty good. Not, not long, just a short write up, giving some examples of what's helpful to do and what not to do. So, um, your your current role at platform is uh, the director of product stability, scalability. Uh, scalability excuse me, scalability. Uh, thank you. Um, what would you say are some of the challenges that are faced in directly related to project? Or, excuse, I always get this mixed up. Product uh, management. Um, in a distributed team versus a, a entirely central centralized team in in the same office or maybe a couple of offices where you can get more visual um, confirmation as to the work that's getting done and that sort of thing. What do you think are some of the challenges that you face as um, someone who who leads product development that someone that works in an office maybe uh, doesn't have to overcome in the same way? First, I would talk about the benefits because definitely what I've seen is it enforces discipline. Everything that is discussed needs to be written down. So we have design documents where we really try to uh, handle those as living documents. Um, and at the end of every meeting that we talk about product, about specific feature, um, about the roadmap, about the strategic uh, decision, we write it down. Uh, if you're in an office where everybody is uh, at the same time, at the same place, you may have the understanding or you may take the habit to just uh, verbally assess or verbally get a consensus. When you're working remote, you can't assume that everybody who will need to be aware about that decision Yeah. Um, to be part of that meeting at that same time, or even recall what's been said. Um, and you don't forcefully have access to the, the product manager or to the guy who uh, took the decision or helped taking the decision. So it enforces discipline on writing down everything. Uh, and that's really a strong benefit that, um, that I've seen uh, in product uh, management. Uh, what I've seen as a challenge mostly is um, 
workshop sessions, for example, when you need to have people that, when you need your team to be participating and giving their opinions, um, we have very successful on-site meetings during our yearly summit, for example, or doing specific uh, team summits where people are in the same room and it's easier to see who needs to participate, who needs to be engaged. Um, uh, and as a product manager, it's easier for you to uh, help people uh, give their opinion, share their ideas when you're on site. It's way harder to do that on a video conference uh, when people not forcefully have their webcam uh, turned on. Uh, and I've seen that as a challenge, uh, being able to have a very productive workshop where everybody that has a say uh, has a chance to has, has a chance to give its uh, opinion. Uh, it's way more challenging when you're uh, that online. And I don't think we are extremely successful yet, or at least I am not extremely successful yet at um, uh, making sure that everybody can participate and give its opinion and uh, that ideas get uh, get shared in a transparent and aligned way. Yes, I I have not found a true replacement for a, a good whiteboarding session when the whole team is is remote. Uh, and it's one of those things where it, it it's like, you know, someone can point a webcam at their whiteboard, but it's just it's just not this it's just not the same as as time boxing, you know, a session of an hour or how whatever the time frame may may be having everyone in the same room, everyone being able to walk up to the whiteboard, add things to it, cross things out, you know, draw lines in their own way. Um, it's just, it's just not the same. And it'll be interesting to see what tools, you know, um, come about in the the coming years. I know there's a couple of companies that have tried to do similar things to it, but I haven't experienced or used any, any piece of software that, that, replaces that in any any substantial way up to this point so that's definitely definitely huge yeah i i agree and even though i'm not even sure that uh, that tools are ever going to replace that because especially now with this uh, crisis with the covid-19 crisis we have people that are stuck at home working from home with their children uh, at home sometimes they don't have a a dedicated space Uh, it can be noisy uh, and you have to keep working and organizing those workshops um, yeah and they cannot easily participate some people are easy talkers online other are uh, less uh, confident in uh, uh, giving their opinion when they're uh, online uh, if you have senior management in the meeting they're not forcefully going to give their their ideas or share their um, their insights uh, this doesn't happen when you're physically in the office uh, or in the same room and you have a chance to ask questions to a specific person because you know that he's not going to be uh, distracted or annoyed by a, a kid or something at home um, yeah and there and there's also stuff that's uh that's missed out on as well i think of yeah. you mentioned the team members that um uh maybe less comfortable speaking up in front of senior management but maybe they you can tell by their body language or their facial expression and they're not talking about a a um a con a, a conscious thing like someone you know trying to 
to sway uh, the conversation in a different direction by their body language, but just those subconscious things where you know you you may you may not look as as excited as everyone else. Those are things that you don't notice when everybody's even on webcams a lot of times because of the way that's you know just the nature of the way that these tools work. It's not the same as having everybody around the table and having a having a whiteboard there. Well, Augustan. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, Thank definitely. you so much for joining me today. Um, before we wrap up, um, is there anything that you would like to plug or give us a, a link or suggestion that you'd like the listeners to go to? Uh, I would. I would definitely link the uh, the blog series that we're doing on uh, remote work, uh, specifically with the existing crisis. We've had many companies and startups that are forced to be remote now, uh, and we wanted to share more our experience uh, with those companies that need to be 100% remote from uh, one day to the other. Uh, we are also doing a series on uh, YouTube, a series of uh, webinars. Uh, one post was very interesting. It was uh, last week from Robert Douglas. About data privacy, so all the tools that you can use as a company uh, that can be uh, self-hosted, that can be open source, uh, that can be configured exactly depending on your needs, uh, and you, you don't need to go with a Google Suite uh, or a Microsoft Suite or uh, a Slack or uh, those tools where you give all your data basically to US companies. Uh, you can actually self-host many of the tools and have exactly the same experience. You just need to be aware of those. Uh, and Robert Douglas has done a great job at presenting uh, that. So I would definitely link to those. Yes, yes, and I'll have a link to. So I'll have a link to uh, that blog post series and also the webinar by Robert Douglas in the show notes for anyone that is interested. All right. I think that wraps it about up for today. My name is Thomas Lattimore. You can find me on Twitter at tlattimore or thomaslattimore.com. And I will talk to you all on the next episode of Remotely Effective.